Hello, everybody. I have a button that says go live. So we should be live. Are we live? Please confirm that you can hear my voice, that you can see my bluish background ish. This thing died on me not too long ago, but it's you know, it's back now. But anyway, come on in. Very special back to back live stream. If you joined me about half an hour ago, I was on with James Dama in a in a panel. So my brain has been filled with AI knowledge. And now I'm trying to empty it in a bucket that I'll never lose. And now I'm going to receive a bunch of financial and stock and everything just craziness around the Tesla stock and investment grade and all that stuff. I'm going to put that back into my brain and hope it doesn't explode. So we'll see what happens. Our very special guest today we have Alexandra Mertz, aka Tessa Boomer Mama, and our very special guest, the one and only, the the best financial analyst on Twitter, in my opinion, Gary Black. Thank you very much for joining us, Gary. Yeah. All right. Let me turn off the stupid music because it's silly. Here we go. This is better now. All right. Um, thank you, Gary. Thank you, Alexandra. Yeah. So today's conversation, for those that are not familiar with this sort of format, uh, very free flowing conversations. Really, the idea here is to um, talk about uh, topics or subjects that are surrounding Tesla stock and um, uh, things that are going on and just allowing the conversation to to flow and really not be afraid to dig deep into the details of what we're talking about. And so, Alexandra and Gary, I, 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 I encourage you both to just feel free to speak as much as you want on the topic don't feel like you're time constrained at all so feel free to explore and then i'll i'll act as a moderator and and somebody that you know i'll try to step in where i can add value maybe ask a question that could move the conversation forward but here we're just here to learn and try to explore topics uh, together so um we'll start with alexandra if you want to uh go ahead and maybe set the stage for us and i do have some um slides that i want to sh uh, show and pull up as Alexandra walks through something, but this is a uh, a release that I think hasn't been seen before, right, Alexandra? If you want to correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but so actually, we discussed, you know, what we should do today because we set this date, I don't know, a month ago. I, I don't even remember. Um, and so, beginning of the week, when we said, "Let's do it," let's do the the Wednesday call, which in the end became a Thursday. I said, "You know what? I think I'll have my my credit rating tables updated by then." which I have and I send to you. So this is the third time I'm doing this. Um, I'm listing for the top 28, 30 mega caps, a uh, couple of financial indicators and their current ratings with both rating agencies. And then I do the, the same for about 10 car makers. And so that was the update and um, you have it, you can show it, go ahead. Um, right, and go. Uh, so there are a couple of, um, and I'm gonna obviously post it on Twitter later tonight and then from tomorrow onwards every day, trying to remind these rating agencies to do what they should. Um, and so not sure I want to go into all the numbers, but what is clearly the case is all indicators for Tesla improved, all of them. They're still rated junk the same way. Um, the global market actually deteriorated. On average, most companies have a worse score than three months ago. But uh, Tesla actually has a better score in all categories, except for the ratings. Um, so I thought it was a good idea to discuss this today. And then we had this good idea together to ask Gary what he thinks about all this. I was going to ask you, as a former uh, Moody's person, why do you think you're so slow? <laughs> your, charts, your charts are crystal clear that they should even be higher than just investment grade. They should be like single A and you know, their, their numbers are off the charts. So 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they should. In my view, they should even be double A. Um, I mean, there are a couple of reasons. First of all, Tesla doesn't issue new debt. You know that the rating agencies get paid when they rate new debt because they get paid proportional to the outstanding debt in that tranche they're doing. So since there is no financial initiative or incentive for them to to look at it over and over again because new tranches of debt are issued, um, they can keep it rested for quite some while. Now, obviously, it gets really ridiculous. I think this is the third quarter and it's getting worse and worse for them how ridiculous it is, but they can hide. It, it would actually be quite easy if Tesla would issue a little bond uh, issue and then the question would really have to pop up. But by the time we are today, obviously, they should do it by themselves. It's, it's just ridiculous the way it is. Yeah. One, one other number that I look at is a, like a fixed charge coverage. So the you know take the EBITDA and then divide it by interest expense. The number of times you're covering your interest expense. And this is about 100 times. They have about $20 billion of EBITDA this year. And their interest expense will be about $200 million. And yeah. so that's off the charts. I don't know why it's taken them so long. I think maybe you're right. There's no new debt issues, but they still should just do it because it's just, when you look at this chart, it's very clear. They should already be investing. Yeah, it, it is completely ridiculous. And and in, in I'm actually following many more indicators than those. I just think these are the best ones to, to show. When you see the cash to debt, that means actually that it takes them less than three months of income to reimburse any outstanding debt that's ever been in it that's that's lying around still has to be reimbursed. So this is crazy. I mean, it's like if you have a personal credit score and you reimburse your mortgage and your car loans and everything in three months. Alexander, yeah. is there a time? People always ask me: Is there a specific time that rating agencies upgrade? You know, is it like after the quarter? Is it in between quarters? How, yeah. how do you view it? No, it's completely it's completely random. Um, usually there's a birthday. So they try to, you know, once a year in the same months they looked last year, they, they try to look at it again. Obviously, if there's major news, they'll update. They pretend that they look at quarterly earnings. I doubt it because then they should have, you know, woken up a long time ago. I think with Tesla, it's become so ridiculous that my theory was they would now do it in August just because it's one of those lame duck moments where lots of people are on vacation, the Fed is not meeting, you know, lots of actors are just not there in August, but uh, my time is running out, so maybe it's not going to be August. Um, so the, the it, it is, it is, um, it's a, a whole mystery. How does it happen? Well, the lead analyst of a, of a corporation has to call in a rating committee. There has to be at least the, the manager, the, the manager of the car sector, I guess they still have it in cars, present at that meeting, some other senior management if they want to, and I'm sure for Tesla they do want to, some other car analysts. Uh, then he pleads his cause for an upgrade or for a remain or whatever. Then they vote. If it's a tie, the most senior person in the room cuts the tie. And then they have to publish within 24 hours. Yeah. I was thinking maybe the you know, they want to see how the two new factories are scaling up. Um, and then maybe they want to see, you know, what happens in third quarter because second quarter was kind of like a one-off quarter for Tesla with China closed for a month. So maybe mm -hmm. they're going to wait and see what the third quarter numbers are. But either way, it, it's it's not an if, it's a win. You know? 
Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, uh, Farzad, pull up the second yeah. the second slide, but then even more the, the third and the fourth. Um, sure. Because, I mean, I just tried to sum it up. I do want to just, just real quick, uh, uh, Gary, looks like we're getting some comments about audio on your side, perhaps maybe a little crackly. I don't know. Is there something with your mic setup? Maybe you can change by any chance um, or is, is it just your regular setup there that you've got? Going on? Setup, but what I can do okay. is uh, maybe move a little closer. If yeah, maybe, maybe mute a little closer. And then if you don't mind muting in between, I think yeah. there might be some echo coming through as well, if, if that's okay, yeah. if you're able to. Yeah, awesome. So, Thank so you, in, this, in this slide, I just showed how everything actually got better from March numbers to June numbers. So in all five categories, um, it got better. But I think what's even more astonishing is the is the next one, which, um, I mean, Gary can help me to explain Altman Z, but let's just keep in mind for a moment, Altman Z is a very good measure to see if something will go bust in the two years to come. The key number is three. If somebody is above a result of three, usually on the safe side, between 1.1 and three, it's considered in the gray zone where it's not so clear, where 90% of all these Altman Z historic uh, cases were in the gray zone. And then Below 1.1, it's quite sure they go they go bust. And so I did that for the same companies that I have in my table. The green ones are the mega caps. The orange ones are the cars. So all the car makers are either already in the red zone. That's Renault. That's the, the French company. Or in that gray zone, all of them. Um, and all the mega caps are one is still in the gray zone and all the others are on the safe side. So there's one that is... 20.01 or more than 20.01 and that is da, 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 dum, that is tesla and so if you want to now pull up the the next one so here i put it so yes it is tesla but it's also one of the only three that still has junk ratings so you have renault being junk rated ford being junk rated and tesla and i mean this is the most ridiculous of all of all charts because obviously you have the two extremes. I mean, I didn't count Tesla as a car maker, so I didn't make orange. We can discuss that, but Gary, because lots of people feel you see Tesla only as a car maker. So maybe that's a good introduction to that point. Um, but I mean, even though, well, no matter whether you count it as a mega cap or as a car maker, um, it clearly is completely uh, absurd what, what this graph shows. So the, the reason that's important is, and again, people ask me this, a lot of um, equity institutional managers, and I, I can't put a number on it, but I see it all the time in people's, um, you know, when they talk about their investment philosophy and how they pick, pick stocks, if you are if you have junk-rated debt, that sometimes excludes you um, from including the equity. And so, you know, we can get into later why do institutions under own Tesla. That's a big reason, and if, if we can clear that out, um, that would help get more institutional equity managers to buy Tesla. If it's yeah. investment grade. I mean, I hear a lot of reach. Sorry, Darren. Maybe actually you're, you're allowed to go, Gary. Um, so a lot of a lot of uh, regional pension funds and institutions, like I don't know, teachers' pension funds of a certain state or whatever, they still seem to very much hooked on investing with investment grade, which is actually crazy because, I mean, these credit ratings are actually for senior 
debt for bonds, not at all for stock. But nevertheless, they obviously in the history were used to write rules for people that are managing money of other people, institutionals, meant a lot of pension money, but huge sums. And so until we have two choices, either these people finally understand how useless the credit agencies are, that would be a good one, the rating agencies. Uh, the second one is much quicker, obviously, getting the Tesla rating to be upgraded. I wonder, like, how how uncommon is the story uh, in in like the history of of rating agencies? Is this is this just a lack of of adjusting to this sort of dynamic happening because we have such an outlier, or is this like how do you think about that? It, it's even exactly the opposite. What you had is you had the Bear Stearns, you had the the Lehmans, you had so many other examples where they were late, where they were still investment grade yet. In the same month, these people went bust, these companies went bust. So it was usually exactly the opposite. They were f having two favorable ratings. This is the first one of a mega cap that I see such an outlier. And, and I mean, they obviously don't like Elon, they don't like Tesla, but this is ridiculous now. It could be too that Tesla has come so far so quick. And you go back even to two years ago where it was barely making money. And it's possible they say, well, you know, we want to make sure that for another couple quarters that they can sustain their margins and, you know, their profitability levels. I just think at some point they, they can't, you know, because the cash flow is just starting to explode. And you know, we have them generating close to $10 billion of free cash flow after all capital spending this year, $20 billion next year, and over the next five years, $170 billion. And look, I know the rating agencies don't look forward. They tend to look backward. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you get to the end of the year and you see that type of free cash flow, which is just going to make these numbers even bigger, I, I don't think they can ignore it. Uh, one thing I also think is they always march parallel. I think 97% of ratings are the same between S&P and Moody's. So it is a first mover thing. If S&P goes first, Moody's will, strict, will, will follow straight away. They actually look at each other on a daily basis. So it just takes one of the two to move for them, for both to 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 adjust. But it is, I mean, it is really, I think we're good with the slide. Uh, you can you can turn turn those off. Um, but, um, but that brings me to the cash question, because what do you think, Gary, that Tesla should do with all this cash? So when people ask me that question, I, I would like them to use the cash to build as many uh, gigafactories as possible. But that's not really the question. The question is, what do you do with the excess cash after all the growth initiatives? You know, when people like me think about that question, there's really four things you do with cash. You can pay it out as dividends, you can do M&A, you can let it build up as cash, or you can buy back stock. And I'm not a big fan of dividends because they're kind of, you know, you kind of, you're locked into them. Once you start paying a dividend, you really can't cut it. Uh, unless things are really bad. I like share buybacks because you can turn them on, turn them off. And I think, you know, opportunistically, like when you get some bad event, which Tesla gets, you know, some, you can you can go in and say, look, my stock is cheap, uh, and you can start buying it. And if you decide you need the cash for something, you could turn off the buyback. So my view is you frame, frame it as um, over the next three years or next five years, we're going to buy back, make up a number, 10 to $15 billion worth of stock, if you know they're going to generate, I don't know what their internal numbers are, but mine are $170 billion for five years, that's not a big amount. And what a lot of people get confused, well, I don't want them 
not building factories because they're buying back stock. When people talk about stock buybacks, it's after all growth initiatives. Now, you do get into this debate about M&A. And so if Tesla decides they want to go out and buy, I don't know, make it up, you know, a, a chain of restaurants because they want to put them at their superchargers, that's M&A. And again, I would argue that that's, that's not really, I, I think, the good use of cash. I would rather them, you know, come up with you know, contracts, for instance, with Starbucks or whomever that they can be at their, 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 uh, their superchargers. I would rather them not you know, going out and doing stuff like that on their own. So M&A is always something where people say, well, they can go out and buy something. I think as long as it's something that fits within their mission and mm-hmm. it keeps, you know, very close to what they're doing today, I'm okay with M&A. I, I just don't want to see them just letting the cash build up at, you know, 1%. Or and, and when you have a buyback, do you want it retiring? Do you want the, the stock to retire? Not, not just them kept keeping it as a, a cash position in their, in their balance sheet. Yeah, I, I just think it sends a good message that they believe, especially when the stock is down for some FUD or some crazy reason, they're in there supporting their stock, and they do it over a long period of time. It's not to, to goose the stock short term. It's really saying, look, over the next few years, we're going to use make up a number, $15, $20 billion. Uh, and Leo Kogelin and I have talked a lot about this. And you just have it out there, and it's a buyback program, and you use it opportunistically. And if you decide you want to make an acquisition for, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 billion, you can always stop it. But you have to, from a from a fiduciary standpoint or share standpoint, look at what is the highest internal rate of return on the cash. So if you invest in cash, you know you're going to earn one, two, three percent. If you do an M&A transaction, you know, when you pay a premium, you may get 10 to 15 percent. You got to look at these things risk adjusted. So you got to justify the, you know, the perceived beta on a project. When you're buying back your own stock, You have a projection of how much earnings you're going to have or how much free cash you're going to have. You know, I come up with internal rate of return, you know, 25 to 30% when you're buying back your stock. Sure. And so to me, that's the best use of the cash. And I would, you know, I, I would hope that, and it was very interesting at the annual meeting, somebody asked me the question, and I think it shocked everybody. It shocked me. They said, well, you know, it's on the table because it wasn't on the table a year ago. You know? yeah. So I think it's a very good thing that they're thinking about it. When you look at a lot of other tech firms, whether it be Google, which doesn't pay a dividend, they buy back their stock. Um, Microsoft, which does both. Apple does both. But you can have a buyback without signaling that you've run out of growth ideas. And so that's my question. Do they have to announce to the SEC that they do buybacks, or can they just start doing that uh, quietly in the corner? No, they would, they would announce it. I, I, I think it's a probably a material, you know, it's a 8K type announcement that they have to probably tell people. And there's rules about buying back their stock. So, like, if they have windows, trading windows, where they could sell stock or buy back stock, usually you have to close those windows two weeks before the quarter. I think that's what I was told about Tesla. And then you can't reopen your window until after you announce earnings. So, mm-hmm. two weeks before the end of the quarter, you close it, earnings get announced, and then usually you've got to wait a day or two then you can win and start buying back your stock. But, you know, keep a long-term perspective, announce it over like two or three years, we're going to spend this much to opportunistically buy back stock. And if you don't make your number, like if you say you're going to buy $15 billion and you don't get there, it's not like a it's not like a, a crime. It's not like something's going to get in control of the mm. SEC. It's, just, it's, it's a soft, it's a soft to goal. To try to send a message to your shareholders that you're trying to maximize the value of their shares for them. Mm-hmm. And it would go a long way 
going back to institutions, a credit rating would help. Uh, what to do with the cash, being able to really clearly articulate that. Um, what's the succession plan, you know, for Elon if he were to get hit by a bus? Um, and then there's a couple overhangs. There's the Twitter overhang. Um, I would call it, I'm going to call it an overhang, but, you know, the FSD uncertainty, because they've been promising all the work for years. Now you get all this regulatory risk out there. You know, that that's, that's an uncertainty. I think institutions would like to clear up. Um, you know, those are like the simple things that I think institutions want to see before they plow back into the stock. So uh, you, you mentioned earlier that they changed their mind the last year of now considering now considering buybacks. So do you think they're reading your Twitter? And that brings me to the second question. How <laughs> come you're running your Twitter? You know, there is no other fund manager out there that is so consistently commenting on one stock like you are so How did you have that idea? Why Twitter and why are you doing it? Because, I mean, you're putting a lot of effort and time in, in educating us all. Yeah. Well, look, it's our largest position. And I've always found that, you know, Tesla's it's, it's the most actively traded stock by dollars. If you look at options, it's the most actively traded option. It's just a fascinating stock. I think it's one of these things that I would, you know, I got off it for a couple months back in 2021 when I announced they're going to buy Bitcoin and, You know, Elon wouldn't give any guidance, and I came there's the third reason I got off it. But then the stock got really, really cheap, so then I got back in. But I like owning the stock. I like it being our largest position because I see so much upside potential in the stock. So I like to tweet about it because, you know, look, I think it's a fascinating stock, and I think it's got great upside. I think on the buyback, you know, uh, Leo Kogoin and I talked a lot about it. He's a big fan of buybacks. He's, he's actually been more of a crusader, I think, than I have been. But to me, it's about getting institutions back in the stock. When I talk to other institutional portfolio managers, it's amazing to me, these other growth managers oh, yeah. that don't own Tesla. And it's a very low percentage. You know, it's, uh, if you look at percentage of shares, it's about 44% or so. Where you look at Google and, and others, you know, it's 75% or 80%. There's no reason institutions don't own Tesla except for these reasons we just talked about. And then there's the Elon factor. People, you know, worry about, it. you know, he... He, he sometimes says some crazy things and does some crazy things. And that's what makes him brilliant, I guess. So you didn't answer my question, but I'm coming back. Um, did you <laughs> did you use Twitter before or did you just, you know, did you discover Twitter because you wanted to discuss Tesla or how did that happen? Yeah, I started using Twitter back in 2019 uh, and it's probably... I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I test drove a Tesla, and I really liked it. I drove one down in Florida, and then I went and built a model, which is what analysts do. You know, I said, okay, how much money are they going to make looking out five years? And then you discount, you know, you come up with a, a PE that's based on the future growth rate, and then you discount it back. And I said, you know, look, there's no way this company isn't worth, you know, twice what, what it was trading at the time. At the time, it was about $50 a share. And so... You know, one of the things I did is I got on Twitter and I just started looking what people were saying about the stock because I found that a lot of the sell-side research, which I had access to, just wasn't that good. You know, people weren't really discussing the big issues, which I found, you know, EV adoption is a big issue. How much share is Tesla going to have? What are the gross margins going to be? You know, do, do consumer, why do consumers want to buy an EV today? And so I really got on Twitter originally to just find data I just couldn't find on the sell-side. And I just, you know, it's, it's, it's hooked me. It's a, it's a great community. And I think, look, there are different 
there are different components within the community. There's some people who are just always, always bullish, always agree with whatever Elon says. And, you know, that's fine. You need certain, call them Uber bulls. But I tend to gravitate more to the people who, you know, can be constructive, um, you know, and will say things that, you know, that, that you know, sometimes this needs improvement because I want to find out what the company can do to get you be, be even better. Um, so that, I think it was 2019 is when I first started using Twitter. It was, so did you, buy, did you buy the Tesla after the test drive? Oh, yeah, yeah. I bought a model. <laughs> <laughs> I have a model. Still have have it? Yeah. You, you still have it? Yes. I don't drive it much in Chicago. I tend to walk there or take Uber because it's just easier in Chicago. Um, but, yeah, I still have it. Do you use the autopilot? Do I use the autopilot? I've used the FSD. I, I was able to uh, qualify as a, what do you call it? I had like a 99 uh, average. But, but, I, but I'll tell you, it's not that easy to use in Chicago. And I don't feel confident about using it all the time. So I would say I don't use it as much as, you know, say, you know, others do. Everywhere they go, they, they use the uh, FSD. But yeah, I'm a clue for it. And do you use it in the winter in Chicago? No. No, I, I find that EVs in, in the winter are not, I don't know, they're, they're just not as easy to use as a regular car, but I would never go back. I used to have a Porsche Cayenne before I had my Tesla. I would never go back to a gas-powered car. It's just, as you know, it's just so much easier to just plug it in, charge it, and go. But I find that with city driving, I tend to walk and, you know, take an Uber It's you know, for mile or two miles that's that's my way of getting around so do you still consider tesla a car company for you is it still mainly a car company or do you already you know think about energy and uh, all the other components yeah. she's tough for that. i don't know why you brought her she's like <laughs> I, it, it was I her idea <laughs> i was waiting for this one for months thank you i i do it as an ev company and i know that's gonna disappoint you um When I value Tesla, I, I have in my model, FSD is an add-on. I put it in at $12,000, and I use a 15% uh, take rate around the world. That's, that's probably, it's probably higher than today, but I assume once it gets fully released, you'll have more people use it. Um, and I also think, and we got to come back to this, with the EV credit, they have to figure a way how to take the EV credit out of the price, because you got to keep the price below $80,000 for an SUV and $55,000 for a Model 3. So they got to figure out a way how to charge separately. Um, but that said, I, I, I treat FSD as just an add-on. I don't include any value for robo-taxi. Um, I do have an energy line in my P&L. I have a service line in my P&L. I don't include anything for insurance, although that would probably be the next thing I would probably use is to get more states to approve it. Uh, I don't put anything in for bots or um, you know any kind of You know, it's called AI licensing. So I view my, my numbers are pretty conservative. Of course, you know, I get into these debates with Tesla Q, you know, and I try to talk to them because I find sometimes they're, they're pretty interesting to debate. But I don't put a lot of things in it, you know, like Kathy and others do, that really pump up the value. And I know, of course, like you, you've got a pretty high, <laughs> high <laughs> price target on Tesla. How do you know? I, I try to do on it. But, but mine, I think, is realistic. And so... When I go through my EV only, using FSD as an add-on at 12,000 times 15% take rate, I come up with about $62 in earnings by 2026. 
And then what you have to do is you've got to put a PE on it if you're going to use PEs based on the future growth rate. So people get into debates with me all this time, and they say, well, why are you using such a low PE? It's because from 2026 on, that's going to determine the PE. And so my growth rate by 2026 on is only 20%. Yeah. You say, oh, that's way too low. You're being conservative. Okay, so, but, but fine. And you, you'd have to tell me how you get a higher growth rate in that because by, by 2026, my EV adoption is already 36%. So going from you know 5% to 36% is huge growth. Going from 36% to, say, 60% by 2030 is not huge growth. So at that point, I'm using a 40 PE, take 40 times 62, and then when 10-year treasuries today, they're, you know, I use a 3% assumption over the next, you know, let's call it five years. Um, Tesla has about a 1.6 beta, and then you got to figure out how much do, do equities pay versus bonds. Generally, it's about 6%. So you take the, the 3 plus the 6 times the 1.6, that's a 12.6 discount rate. You discount back your, 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 your 40 times 62, and that's how I get $1,600. And that's the way I've always looked at Tesla. That's the way I try to look at all our stocks. And so when the stock's trading at $900, and so that's incorporating risk, so I'm putting beta in there, you know, that's, that's almost a double. And that's why it's our largest position. But where people get, I don't want to say annoyed with me, but I'm, I think I'm very practical but dogmatic about it. I just don't believe that Tesla is going to be the only person out there with, with um, you know, autonomous driving. I just don't believe it. I see what's going on in China. I see the players, and they're putting a lot of money. They're putting a lot more money in hardware than Tesla is. And I just think others are going to, if you look at the history of the, the automotive industry, every single innovation has been copied. They'll say, well, this time it's going to be different. But you look at automatic transition transmissions, and you look at power steering, and you look at, you know, um, power brakes, seat belts. They've always been able to copy them. And so this time to say, well, this time they're not going to be able to copy because only Tesla has the network. I just think that's very naive because a lot of companies are spending a lot more on the hardware than Tesla is. That's my but, point. But, but not, not of the traditional OEMs, right? We agree. This is all the newcomers that you see as competition. Yeah, but I'm not just looking. I mean, people always make fun of me. They say, well, you're talking about Cruise, and you're talking about Waymo. No, if you look at another company we follow, Baidu, you know, Baidu has, um, you know, self-driving. Uh, Huawei has self-driving, and they use it with ArcBox. I mean, a lot of the Chinese companies are way ahead of the U.S. companies, and they're being approved for autonomous driving all over China, or, you know, big, big sections of it, not just like a little section of Phoenix, Arizona, like uh, uh, Waymo was approved. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, look, over time, I believe Tesla will get to a level four autonomy, but right now, because of the hardware constraints, it just seems to be kind of stuck at level 2.5, or maybe you can call it level 3. And so I just can't, in, in, as an analyst, say, okay, they're going to be the only ones that have it by 2025. Um, I was talking to Chuck Cook today about this, you know, because he, he's got the, the, the unprotected left turn. It, I said, so are they waiting to release the new FSD version until they get your unprotected left on, Chuck? He said, I don't know, but they're, they're testing it in my neighborhood. So, yeah. you know, and it's funny because he doesn't want to call the term overfit. I said, so what are they going to do, overfit for your unprotected left in your neighborhood? He says, no, it's kind of a bias, but we, they have to get that right. Uh, and his, his view is they won't release the new version until they get it right. So it's kind of interesting. 
But what would it take for you to change your mind on FSD? You know, if, if really FSD would, would now suddenly... It has to work, Alexandra. It has to work. It has to work in, in you know, 99% of the times and not just the overfitted cases. It tends to work, you know, where Elon's drive is and, you know, where Omar's drive is. But does it work in Chicago? Does it work in, you know, Rhode Island? Does it work in, you know, New York City? I just have to see that it actually works. And I do worry that because they've locked their hardware in, and, you know, we get into all kinds of debates about cameras in front of the B pillar, but, you know, a lot of companies are spending more on the hardware than Tesla is. And it's not LiDAR. It's the combination of cameras, LiDAR, radar, you know, the HD mapping that's allowing them to catch up to Tesla. So I'm not, I'm not saying that Tesla won't get there. Tesla's going to get there. I believe that. I just think that others are going to get there around the same time. And more importantly, I think the regulators aren't going to say, okay, we're just going to approve Tesla for, for autonomous driving, but we're not going to approve anybody else. Now, that said, I haven't figured out in my mind what happens if, you know, if you've got a geofenced area, like, you know, let's say Washington, D.C., what are you going to prove? That they can drive their car in uh, Washington, D.C., but you can't take it into Virginia? That yeah, doesn't right. sound right. So I think Tesla's on the right. Uh, road to doing it using vision only and, and a generalized approach. I just wonder why they're not investing more in the hardware. I guess that's my question. I'm a car guy. I've always, you know, when I had my Porsche, I spent, you know, probably $4,000 extra on a Burmeister stereo. And I always think about options that you could buy as standard or premium. I'm just wondering if you're going to have a two-segment market where you have kind of premium autonomy and kind of basic autonomy. That, that, I worry about that, that they, they don't have as much hardware as some of the other, you know, startups, for lack of a better word. So, Gary, real quick, is is them then completing or, or showing that full self-driving works? Is that the first variable that helps you start thinking of Tesla as more than a car company? Is that one of those variables that has to happen? Yeah, and look, I, I think I speak like most institutional managers. We like focus. We hate you know, Alexandra and I have had many debates about Twitter. I hate the idea of Elon spending his time trying to fix Twitter because he's an engineer and he doesn't, he doesn't, he's shown that he's not an expert at ad, ad spending. That's not his forte. He's, he's an engineering genius. And when you look at his other companies, you know, they're all engineering driven um, and product driven. Whereas I look at something like Twitter as being, you know, it's an ad driven business. What is the value add he's gonna he's gonna provide to fix Twitter? Now, what Elon said when I asked him that question, essentially at the end of me is, look, we have engineers who can, you know, and programmers who will make the product better, and I grant you that. So, I worry that when you get into what else can Tesla do, and they start talking about, you know, we're gonna have a chain of restaurants, and we're gonna have, you know, uh, bots that you know do your household chores and stuff, and I. I just worry that it's, it's too much of a distraction and, and I want more focus. When I invest in a company, you know, like I take Google. It's our second largest position. Google has search, which is their cash cow. You know, they have the cloud and they have advertising, which includes YouTube. That's about as, as, as well diversified as I like to get. I don't like to see companies in 20 different things because from a, from a stock standpoint, when you have, you know, eight or 10 different businesses, it's not as transparent. And what investors do is they tend to, to, to gravitate to the lowest multiple uh, 
business. And they put that multiple on the whole thing. True. And I'll tell you the reason I, I probably grew up this way. The very first stock I ever covered in my life when I came to Wall Street was Philip Morris. Philip Morris had foods and it had tobacco. And tobacco killed people. And what investors did is they put the tobacco multiple on the whole thing. Because, you know, that's just the way the litigation worked. And, you know, and then the, the tobacco is decided, okay, well, let's spin off all the food companies and make them pure plays. So I grew up in an environment where it was always better for a company to be a pure play and the CEO to be, you know, singly focused on that business. It's one of the reasons I don't own Square. I don't like, uh, well, up until recently, that Jack was, you know, doing a couple businesses at once. Um, you know, he did Twitter and he did Square. So, so in, in that same, sorry about the microphone, in that same line, um, Do you have any expectations for AI Day on September 30th? And let me finish that question. Um, do you think it's a coincidence for, for once that I got the timing that the AI Day is on a Friday afternoon after market and by the Monday we will have the Q3 car numbers, right? So do you think they, there was some planning for once that they knew in the same week and two things would happen? I, I don't think Tesla manages their stock price like that. I just, I don't think they care about it. I think they're, they're much longer term thinkers than that. I think it was just maybe something else was going on that week. I don't, I don't buy that, you know, somebody was managing the two events together. Look, AI day will be like every other Tesla event, battery day and, and all the other ones. There'll be hype going into it and the stock will move up and then coming out of it, there'll be a sell on the news event. Okay. Unless there's something extraordinary that comes out of it. But every time we've had one of these days going back, and I've been to like two or three of them already, there's a lot of hype and a lot of excitement. And then, you know, people say, okay, well, that's that's good. Let's see what happens next time. And then I think people, you know, they, they sell off the stock afterwards. So I'm not expecting, you know, some earth-shattering, you know, revelation or invention at that, that at, on that day. But I do think it's something that, They'll come up with something very interesting, and everybody's going to get excited about it. But to me, I own Tesla for the EV business, and that's all I need because the EV business is exploding around the world. And Tesla, as long as they can hold their share, which they, they have been pretty much other than the second quarter, they, they their share dropped. I'm talking about EV share, which is another debate that people get in with me. Their EV share dropped about 16 and a half for the second quarter, but if you add back the 70,000 or so they lost in China, their share was about 20%. So if they can hold their share and EV adoption keeps growing at 40 or 50% a year, I can get to my $1,600 price target pretty easy. I don't need anything else. Yeah, I agree. How do you think about, sorry, how do you think about operational excellence and like uh, the, the Tesla's track record of being able to achieve really uh, large problems or things that were unthinkable, like getting an EV company to be profitable, building all this from scr scratch, getting Model 3 scaled up to where it is now, coming out with a Model Y that uh, has the best profit margins within its class by far. And so how do you think about those pieces and do you use that to model into the future or are you more of a, you know, like, like what I'm hearing is you, you want proof in the pudding, which I completely respect and understand, but is there also some sort of weight given to previous uh, executional excellence? Yeah, great question. And look, Tesla gets an A for, for executional excellence. And so when I think about when I got involved in the stock, there was a lot of debate about Model Y and there was a lot of debate about China. So if you think about 2019, you had Model Y, people were talking about, 
and then you had China, which was just coming online. What we saw with China is they got out of shoot, they got that factory pretty much running at full capacity within about a year, maybe 15 months. And Model Y, all the all the skeptics who said Model Y is just the big three and it's never going to do anything. And this is where I try to bring a marketing perspective to it. I looked at it and said, wow, Model Y puts them in a new category. So they're basically going from a sedan to an SUV. Because Model Y to me was always an SUV. But Tesla Q people said, no, it's just a big sedan. It's an oversized sedan. Said, you guys are crazy. And you know, the CUV segment, brush um, utility vehicle segment, that's an SUV. Um, that's 40% of the business. And the SUV segment's another 10 or 15. So when, when I'm thinking about them, and, and this is a danger, I think, launching Cybertruck, I just assume they can do it because they've been so good at execution all along. When I see them, you know, buy a factory, you know, in Berlin, I just assume it's going to happen at the same pace that they, they got China up and running. So I give them a lot of credit. And, you know, look, I've been disappointed. Cybertruck has been every year in my model. I have to push it back another year. Now it's sitting in the middle of 2023. And look, for, for, for the investment in Tesla to work from here at, you know, where's the 908, two things have to happen. EV adoption has to keep going up at about 40 to 50% a year. That's how you get your 40 to 50% volume growth. And they have to hold their share. And then the second thing that has to happen, they have to keep buying factories. They have to keep buying one or two every couple of years to expand their capacity. Because right now they're sitting at about, you know, 2 million units of capacity. But even if you look at my conservative model, I have them getting to six million by 2026, and I have them getting to 10 million by 2030. Well, you got to do the math. You say they got to keep on buying factories, and they got to keep buying in, in areas and executing and getting them up to speed really quickly. So I think where I've been—I don't—I don't, I don't want to say wrong, but just too aggressive—I've assumed I've given a more executional um, capability in my models, and I think I probably deserve. Like Berlin, you know, there's been issues, and in you know, we, we, there's been issues with the 4680 in Austin, and they had to ship parts back to Austin to, you know, use the 20, 2170 battery. I just assume they can get this stuff done because they've done it so fast in the past with Shanghai. So, yeah, I definitely give them a lot of credit versus, you know, let's take a Rivian or a Lucid because, you know, they've had a hard time manufacturing. They've had a hard time getting, you know, even, you know, seven or 8,000 units a year out. Who do you think the, the top three car makers will be in 10 years? I think Tesla will be up there. I think Ford. I think Volkswagen. Um, I would say those are the top three. I think Volkswagen and Ford. Ford has done much better than GM. GM is it's, it's kabuki theater. It really is. Mary just pretends. She talks a lot. She's a strategist. But they just haven't executed at all. I think Ford's done a really good job. And you know, I wouldn't own Ford because they're so dependent on still their ICE cars for, for revenue and profit. But I think they've done the second best job. Um, Volkswagen will be interesting without these, whether or not they can continue to, you know, move very quickly into the EV space. And I would never own Volkswagen either. You know, we recently um, started a small position in Rivian. We're now up to 1%. And the reason we like Rivian is because they play at 60% of the market. So 40% in the CUV, SUV, and then, you know, they're, they're in the pickup uh, segment, which is 20%. That's very different from Lucid, which just pays place in a luxury sedan uh, side of it. Now, they will have an SUV, they say, but they don't seem to have mastered 
getting up to even a respectable number of production yet. Um, they're saying 67,000 units this year. They started before Rivian. Rivian's going to be at 24,000, and they're already adding a second uh, shift at their plant. So they're going to beat their 24,000 just because they got a second shift starting this quarter. And they got that big Amazon uh, franchise, yeah. which, you know, that's, that could be 100,000 a year. So I think Rivian is the one to watch of all the, the newer players. As you know, I haven't liked any of the EV upstarts. We were short uh, Nikola. Um, we, 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 just, we just don't see a lot of huge potential uh, among the new ones. But Rivian is the only one we, we really tend to like. It's just because they have such a big TAM. And because they seem to have gotten a lot of the execution issues behind them, or they wouldn't be adding a second shift. You know, they, mm. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. So that, that brings me to another question. Sorry for the mic again. Um, does um, what you invest in in your future fund, does that also represent what you do for your managed accounts? And do you personally also hold Tesla stock? Yeah, like we, we can't, we don't trade. Like we're long term holders. So, you know, in our personal account, it's our compliance group. They're not going to let me. Um, trade things that are different from what's in the in the future. So I could own stocks if, if we don't own it in the future fund. But I got a fellow department says, why don't you own this in the future fund? You don't think it's suitable? So um, yeah, I own Tesla stock, um, but but you know most of my my assets are tied up in the future fund. And yeah, in a in a separate account, if somebody gave us a, a separate account and said manage it just like in the future fund, but pay more attention to you know customization or what I have in my other holdings or my tax situation, we would we would try to mirror the future fund. Um, and look, one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to position the future fund as being disruptive growth, fundamental-based, concentrated, um, plays to all the mega trends we've identified, and we have a you know a very distinct macro view of the world, which we can talk about in a minute if you want. But most of the companies we own are profitable. Rivian's not profitable. Um, Wolf Speed, which makes these, uh, you know, these specialized chips, which went up 30% today, is about a 3% position. And that's, you know, that's, that doesn't make money either. But the vast majority of the names that we have make money already. And that, that makes it very different from what, say, Arcats, where they don't, yeah. want them, don't make money. And we've talked about And I think that's helped us this year because as interest rates have gone up, you know, these long-duration equities where they don't make money, whether it be, you know, I don't know, there's just so many that Kathy owns, I can't even count them all. They're just not going to do well in this type of environment. And one of the things that Dave Kalis and I did earlier this year was rates started going up. We, we made decisions about which stocks we wouldn't own that were too long-duration. So Shopify is a stock I love, but we don't own it because it's too long-duration. So we try, to keep, we try to keep mostly profitable names in our portfolio, and we try to keep the duration lower until we see interest rates peak. And then we'll but if you see the market turn, if you feel the market is getting much more bullish than it currently is, would you change that? Would you go to more risky stocks then? Yeah. Look, we're, we're classic growth investors. We have a very systematic way of approaching you know, value. You, mean, you see it the way I tweet. It's, it's, it's a very systematic way of evaluating companies. So it has to fit our criteria. On the other hand, yeah, I think if I felt that um, the Fed was going to pivot, and by pivot it means you know not take rates up so aggressively. I don't think they're going to bring rates down, but I do think they'll slow the rate increases that they've talked about. Everybody's saying today 50% chance of a 50 basis point rise in September, 
50% chance of a 75 base point rise. If all of a sudden everybody says, well, it's going to be 25 to 50, and that's kind of a pivot, it's a slower rate of increase, I would think the market's going to take off. I mean, right now the market is still down year to date. If you look at NASDAQ, we're still down 17%. Mm. But I could see the market take off, and therefore we would probably lengthen the duration of our portfolio. But we, we do things slowly. We don't, as you know, we don't trade much. We're very long-term investors. We stick with the names. Unless, if we believe that our investment thesis is wrong, or like uh, a stock like Celsius, which is, you know, it's uh, energy drinks, you know, it's gone through the roof. It's doubled. Um, we take some money off the table. Um, you know, you'll would see you today. Mind, would would you money. mind explaining us your trading discipline? Because that was one of the things that convinced me that I wanted to put my IRA with you. Uh, because most of the most of the actively managed funds hardly have a trading discipline, and you seem to have one that I really appreciate. So maybe you should uh, explain that again. Well, the biggest thing is that as a stock gets near to our price target, and, and we look at upside versus downside, and we try to do it on a probability weighted basis, we start taking money off the table. And so if Tesla gets to be, let's say, twelve hundred, let's just make up a number, and my price target sixteen hundred. That gives me $400 of upside. I put a probability on the upside. And then I think about the downside. So we always try to think about upside versus downside. We want to buy a stock if it's got at least two times upside to downside. And we start trimming positions as they get to about 0.5 or so. So, again, take two positions that have worked for us. Celsius went from, I don't know, 50 to about 100. We started taking money off the table because it was getting too big. Wolf Speed was up 30% today. Um, you know, we, 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 you'll see that we took a little bit off the table. So we tend, as stocks go up, we, we tend to take some money off the table, but, you know, we still like it. But, look, even Tesla, I can't like Tesla as much at 908 as I liked it at 640. <laughs> and when Tesla gets to 1200, it will. I'm not going to like it as much as I like today at 908. So well, it's kinda, except if your price target changed. But when I mean take money off the table, it doesn't mean exit. It just means, you know, it, it might come down in terms of the position size because the probability weighted upside versus downside is not as great because you know I, I try to be very systematic and if we think 1600 is the price target let's and here's what's happened with Tesla the numbers keep going up so year-to-date Tesla revisions are up 49% meaning the street has taken the estimates up 49% year-to-date there is not another mega mega cap stock that has that type of revision structure not Apple, not Google, none of them. None of them have revisions that positive. People keep taking the estimates up because EV adoption keeps exceeding people's estimates. EV adoption, we, we went into the year thinking it would be 10.5% um, for 2022. It's already at 10.5%. We're only in July. It'll probably finish the year at about 125 So that's been the big surprise. And the other big surprise um, on the positive side is gross margins, uh, ex-EV credits, keep getting higher. And so as we get into third quarter and fourth quarter, one of the catalysts to Tesla is the numbers are going to beat again in the third and fourth quarter. They beat the first quarter, they beat the second quarter, they will beat again in the third and fourth quarter. As we get into 2023, and this becomes really important, the earnings, because they keep going up, start out running the multiple. So one of the, one of the things that makes us stay with Tesla and we keep increasing our price targets because the earnings keep going up. Mm. And it's in our own model. We're in $24 in earnings for next year. But if they keep executing, and if Cybertruck, for, for instance, were to come early or, you know, they were to 
find another two plants and get them up and running pretty quickly. If we take our numbers up to even higher, you know, we're going to have a higher price target. And that's that's what's happened with Tesla since we, we, we bought it. The, the price target yeah. gets up and the earnings keep going up. And your, what's your behavior if a stock goes down a lot? I mean, I, I know we had couple of discussions, you know, with ARC doubling down, even though the stocks weren't just lower and lower and lower. And there you explained to me, that's not how we do it. We've got our stop losses and we cut it. It depends. If we if we sell a stock, if it gets close to our price target, one, two, if we realize our investment thesis is wrong. And when a company misses, we evaluate it. And we, you know, we have risk management in such a way that if a stock is down, you know, let's call it 10 or 15 percent, after a quarter, and we've had a few of those, we will evaluate whether we still want to own the stock. So I would say half the time when we do a full-fledged review, if your stock is missed a quarter, and we, we, we just we just blew it. Um, half the time we get rid of the stock. Snap was one of them. Um, I think of another one that we've really trimmed back on that we just missed. But but we don't we don't just blindly double down because it's now cheaper. A lot of times we, we just miss things. You know, we're human. And so... You know, with Snap, we didn't realize that they were having such a hard time, um, you know, because people were, with Apple iPhone, they were basically saying, I don't want to opt in to having my cookies followed. So Snap Snap was, was struggling with that. And so after getting beat up for about two or three quarters, we finally just bailed on that. And there are other stocks that we've bailed on that, you know, they, they keep going down. We generally don't keep um, increasing the position just because... You know, they miss and now they look cheaper. Because mm-hmm. if we miss, we have to ask ourselves, what did we get wrong? Was it just a temporary thing? Was it a timing issue? Or is there something permanent that we've missed in our research that is causing the stock to go down? And I'd say half the time we miss something and half the time it's just it's a timing issue. Got it. Father, do you want to ask some questions from the public? Yeah, sure. If if anybody in the comment section wants to uh, drop a question or two for Gary, I think we have him for another five minutes or so before he has to go drop him in. But I actually want to role play a little bit with you, Gary, just real quick. And, and I'm curious to see what your answer is. Um, so you've already kind of walked us through the the whole effort, the way you're thinking about FSD, that you have to wait and see and really make sure that it works. I'm curious if if and when Tesla gets to that point where FST does become a reality and it fits your sort of standard and acceptance of, okay, they're here, do you then start thinking about the bot and start pricing that in or does that become its own beast? Yeah, look, we're, I think that we're probably furthest along at adding would be insurance. And even there, I can see a benefit to people saying, okay, look, the, 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 the computer can track how good of a driver I am and therefore maybe... I could get a cheaper price or I could offer a cheaper price for insurance and they could gain market share. The problem is they're only in a handful of states. Um, that one, I think, you know, we'd probably add first with the bot. I would have to see that they can compete against the other folks who already are doing it, you know, and a lot of people have bots. A lot of people have um, robots that do chores. And I would just have to see that there's something out there about Tesla's that's going to allow them to gain market share versus competitors. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not a tech person, but I can I can read the reports and I can tell, you know, whether something looks like it's going to gain share or not. It's funny, people make fun of me about FSD. So, well, you're not an engineer, but I've been right about FSD for the last two years saying it's not ready and it's not going to get there first. So it's pretty funny that, you know, people just always want to you know, say, well, you're not an engineer, you don't really understand this stuff. Okay, maybe, but at least with FSD, I've gotten it right so far. So, your question, if all of a sudden I said, okay, look, 
they're going to get to level four, and others aren't. And that's that's you know, both conditions have to happen. Yeah, you could basically assume that maybe they will be able to develop a robo tactically, and I would have to model it and figure out okay, what's the incremental value versus just adding twelve thousand dollars times a take rate of fifteen percent to my revenue model, which is what I'm doing today. I just don't believe that they're going to be necessarily the only ones out there that get approved for Robotaxi. When you got all these other companies that are being approved for testing of Robotaxi today, and Tesla's still sitting at level two, which means you still need a driver um, you know, in the car. But if, yeah, if they were suddenly at level four, and you didn't need a driver in the car, and you got a couple states to approve them for driverless testing, then I would start considering, you know, maybe there's going to be a Robotaxi revenue stream as well as a called an FSD revenue stream. I just, I just don't see it yet. Got it. That's that's very helpful. Um, question from the comment section here. Last three minutes. Uh, thoughts on the battery content requirement for the EV credit? Will this uh, disqualify many EVs from the credit? Will Tesla qualify? How do you think about that? I think the manufacturers will figure out a way how to bring, you know, batteries into the United States. That's one or two. They'll get a waiver, and that's I've heard more. We have a, a couple good people in Washington we talk to, and if everybody is struggling, and you got to look at GM and Ford because they're the ones that are driving mm -hmm. this. If they can say, look, none of us are going to be able to qualify for this under the new EV credit because we, we just can't, you know, get to the battery uh, limitation base. It has to be in the United States, whatever the number is, 40%. I think they'll ask for a waiver for a couple of years and say, just give us some time till we get there. And so I think they'll figure out a way how to do it. Biden wants to be known as the climate change president. And I think, you know, GM and Ford will ask for a waiver if they don't think they get testable benefit from it. That's why we were always a believer that that EV credit would get there. Not because Ford, because Ford didn't reach their limit yet. They will. But GM was already above their limit. And as long as GM fought for an EV credit, you know, Tesla will benefit. So I, I think they'll figure a way around it. Short answer. Got it. Um, another one here real quick. Uh, love to hear Gary's thoughts on the incessant FUD and how to mitigate its effects on stock price. Seems like manipulation. How do you think about that? Look, that's that's a 10-minute discussion. I think Tesla just has to show up. And, and look, let me just give you my perspective. Having run PR, having run marketing departments, having dealt with the media my whole life. Now, Tesla doesn't show up. They just say, we're not going to... And maybe that's changing because, you know, suddenly they, they use the Tesla um, Twitter account to respond the other day, which was pretty funny. I didn't expect that. But you have to show up because... When you're writing, you, you got to understand there's a Chinese wall between the advertising department and the journalist. And I know Elon didn't leave it, but it's true. And and there's another misconception as well. Because we don't advertise, they beat up on us. That is definitely not the case. Um, and you can just talk to any editor. You talk to any journalist, and they'll tell you that. And, and I just, I, it's not that I get annoyed so much. Just, I just know that you, you can't just say, okay, because we don't advertise, that's the reason we get beat up. The reason Tesla gets beat up is because they don't show up. And I always use the analogy, it's like my 12-year-old kid, he didn't make the baseball team because he never even tried out for the team. Tesla doesn't even try. So when there's an article, and a lot of times it's competitors, like Ford or GM are planning articles, you know, in the minds of the media, and the media is always looking for good, you know, articles that get clicks, and they call around and they find out, you know, well, what, are you, what are you hearing? And, you know, somebody in the PR department at General Motors or Ford will suggest something, and then it becomes a story. Tesla will be called and Tesla won't give any, any opinion. And the reason that's hard is because the editor's going to say, Jones, did you get Tesla's opinion about this so we can include the story to show that we're being balanced? They'll say, well, they didn't respond. So then it becomes 
a one-sided story. But people have to realize, and they should see it in the way I work the media, there are people out there who want to tell the Tesla story. Uh, Al Rooted Barron's is very pro-Tesla. And I can call up Al with you know, lots of different ideas and say, look, here's an idea you should think about, and he'll go investigate it. If you had a one- to two-person PR team, you can, you can do that. And, and, and it's such a competitive field that if Reuters is constantly running negative stories or Bloomberg's constantly running negative stories, and they seem to run negative stories all the time, you can get other media outlets, whether it be Barron's or the Wall Street Journal or whomever, to run positive stories and upset it. So I think the FUD is, is there partly because competitors are now getting more desperate because Tesla is winning, so they're coming up with more stories. And I think because Tesla doesn't show up, they just kind of persist out there. And if Tesla would just put a person out there or two people to offset it, get the Tesla side of, of things out there, it would negate a lot of the negative FUD that you see there. But, you know, things may be changing. I was surprised to see the other day with this attorney that, you know, supposedly left and then he didn't leave. And, and look, Bloomberg, they don't, they don't make any money on advertising. They make money by charging people like me $2,200 a month for Bloomberg terminals. Hmm. Um, they're definitely not looking at whether Tesla's advertising. But they constantly run negative stories against Tesla. So I just think it's something Tesla has to fight back, and it doesn't cost a lot. It's a very short-term way of thinking and say, well, I don't want to spend a million dollars a year on a PR department. That's nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And it protects the brand value. One of the other things that um, I keep thinking about is in three to five years, what are the variables that customers are going to use to choose EVs? It's always going to be battery range. It's always going to be performance. It's going to be technology. It's probably going to be safety. So you got to somehow figure out a way how to use PR and probably some sort of advertising to build your safety brand. And then I think, you know, you, you got to keep, you got to, you got to respond to the flood and fight back, especially when it's about safety. Yeah. Very helpful. Well, Gary, I know we're at, we're at time with you. I want to make sure you don't uh, miss your uh, your, <laughs> your plans here. Thank you so much for making the time. Alexandra, I'm just going to want to give a share in your last words for Gary, and then we'll give Gary the little bit here before well, he leaves. Thank Any, you very much for coming, Gary. That was really yeah. great. And thank you for doing all these questions. Great. Yeah, very, very kind. kind. Hopefully we'll have a good day tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate, Appreciate your coming on, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Awesome. And you have to give the hundred bucks right. to buy him a microphone. Yeah, I definitely got to call this out, <laughs> Kathy. Yeah, sorry, y'all, for the audio quality on Gary's side. Uh, I probably should have done a little bit better job ensuring that it was uh, coming through okay on our end. It wasn't that bad when we first started, and then it, it kind of got worse as we went on, and I was trying to tweak stuff in the background. Kathy, I'll make sure to get Gary a mic. I'll send this <laughs> over to him so he can invest in a microphone. Thank you all very much. Gary, if you're watching this back, thank you so much, seriously, man. I was tweaking stuff on the back end, trying to make sure your mic was coming in uh, soon. Yeah, it's it's a, a little bit of a bummer that that quality was like that, and I appreciate everyone's patience, but boy, the content he was sharing, man. What uh, what what do you think? I mean, what 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 did you learn, Alexander? Because I mean, yeah, I, I mean it, it was- this, this has been months that I have these questions lined up, because I mean, I'm following him daily, because I follow the ARC funds and, and I compare. Um, and also, and, and I'm gonna get into that because somebody somebody asked that, why do I have my IRA money in it? Uh, first of all, I'm in the United States only since a couple of years, so my IRA is still very small. All my managed accounts that I do directly, I obviously have in Tesla. Uh, but in the IRA, I thought I'll do half and half. I have half in Tesla stock and half in his fund, just because this is my last, last cushion, right? This is, if everything else goes bad, this is, this is what I need. And, uh, and 
so I put it there because of all the funds I looked at, this was the one I, I chose. And, and I took really time because, like I said, I was a fund manager in my early career. I was a rating analyst. So uh, I, I took time getting acquainted to it. And then I put my mind, half of my IRA in, in, into it. And, and I'm very comfortable with it because from all the funds I follow, he's done I mean, it's a negative performance, but a much better negative performance than than all the others. Um, so, so I, w I was ready, um, wanting to ask him a lot of questions. I really wanted to hear whether he's driving his Tesla or not in the winter. I was very happy about that one. Um, but it, um, but it was good. I mean, he he's not the type to go easily on on a microphone or in front of a camera when he's doing his. Um, annual calls because he's done one i think every six months the mic is bad everything is bad there's no installation and it makes me laugh and i hope he hears that gary you have to watch this because for a guy <laughs> that is ha telling us all the time we need good pr this is how it happens <laughs> do it do it get that mic get that, get that camera <laughs> gary needs pr gary needs pr <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny uh, honestly the, the my biggest takeaway from that conversation was um Look, like my price targets again, I am I'm not a financial analyst by trade. I don't I, I didn't I, I don't this analysis thing for me for looking at stocks is brand new. It's a hobby. This is like no one in their right mind should give me a penny to invest the money for them. Like, forget it. But um, I, I see and, and my targets are well beyond where Gary's thinking about. But what I really respect about Gary is that he's so methodical and can and he can back up every single variable of his thesis with a very logical answer. I'm like, cool. I understand where you're coming from. I disagree with 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 sort of how, how you're thinking about it in the long term, but I fully understand and I and I get where you're coming from. But here's the deal. My biggest takeaway or thirty five stock. I mean I I checked them out a couple of times on other stuff. Thirty five. It's crazy. Wow. That's that's pretty wild. And, and and so put that within the perspective of where he's landing with his price targets, right? So here's somebody who's being extremely methodical. He is not given any weight to anything that doesn't deserve it. So that's sort of my takeaway is that if something's going to get any sort of weight from Gary, it needs to deserve it. There is no future implication for it that he needs to see the the, the stinks and bones. And he's coming up with a $1,600 uh, price target, which is you know, again, not investment advice, $700 above where we are today. Mm -hmm. And I look at that, I'm like, okay, so if somebody's being that methodical and arriving at a price that's almost double of where we are today, what the hell is everyone else doing? Like I, what's I everyone else I doing? Mean, he is on my bear case scenario, right? I have three scenarios in my head. He is really as low as my bear case scenario, but that is because he only takes EV into account, right? And he gives not all execution I see 100% weight. So, and, and that's fine. I, I mean, I don't mind at all that, that he's so much more conservative. I, I will yeah. worry and I will scream when he starts shaving and trimming at 1200, but uh, you'll hear me then. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I, I think the story will change as we go into the like, I'm very curious to see how Gary's uh, model changes in say into Q2, Q3 of next year, you know, once Q3 passes and Q4 passes, and maybe one or two other gigafactories get announced, and then the maybe the growth prospects become a little bit more clear. I'm curious to see how that's going to uh, sort of change over time. Line, right between a very traditional Wall Street analyst, none of them really get it. I mean, Dan Ives is not bad, but Dan Ives is like, 
a week is good and the next week is bad. So the, <laughs> the, 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 the thing- Shout out Dan Ives, you're welcome anytime. He went to Penn State, by the way. He went to the same college I did. Oh, I go. talked to him a little bit on the side. He's awesome, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but he's obviously the most consistent and well-researched and I think he got them the EV business well and understood that well of all the Wall Street analysts. So we, we pull him into our retail cold love for, for Tesla, but then you suddenly you feel he has to pull back and has to get all his reasoning back into it and, and his numbers and his Excel spreadsheets. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, not everybody can be just, just be an enthusiastic retail investor, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always like one of the questions I, I I wish we had the time to ask, maybe, you know, if he's ever down to come back with his brand new $100 mic that Kathy's going to buy him next time. Um, like one of the things I wanted to ask him was like, how how has the retail movement changed his approach, if any, you know, for the last, say, like five to 10 years? Like, has he learned anything that maybe he he's starting to add into his models or how he approaches problems? And what are the things that really stuck out to him as like, I had an intuitive sense that I wasn't going to do this. And then now I know for sure I'm not going to approach it this way because then I have all this data from retail. Like I, I was dying to know that answer from him. Um, I don't know if there was anything from your end that you wanted to ask me, didn't get a chance to, but. I, I mean, yeah. I have my list here, but I can you tell you. I, mean, I, I, I wanted to get into Twitter, you know, the, the whole, is it going to be so bad if he buys it and all that? And I thought, no, let's just drop that one. Um, yeah. But I, I think we actually got quite well to, to, um, it was very dense. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. was really fed up with my questions. No, <laughs> no, I was like, Farza, why did you bring her on? <laughs> By the way, shout out to you. My goodness, you are a phenomenal interviewer. Like, you need to do this more often. Like, so I don't know if anybody in the comment section knows Alexandra has her own channel. Go look her up. She, I know you've done a couple interviews. Um, I was impressed. Like, is this something you've done? I mean, obviously you've interviewed people in, in your past, but your questions were super natural and very well timed. Like, how did you learn that skill? Where'd you get that from? Well, I mean, for Gary, I was prepared because I have all these questions and he's usually not very mm. talkative. You know, if ever I have him on DMs after one or two questions, he just thinks that's it enough, <laughs> enough of her. And yeah. then for two weeks, I don't hear anything back. So, um, so I, I knew what I was was doing and I, it was my field because I'm passionate about Tesla and I know a lot about fund management. But uh, but thank you for saying that. But I have to I have to clarify something because people think I have ghosts in the back. This is just my my fake screen. <laughs> so don't you worry. No no ghosts here. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, real quick before before we wrap up, I, I don't know how much time you have, Alexander, but I definitely want to be respectful of your time. Oh, yeah. um, you real so quick. Exhausted. I mean, you've been so good today. I, I don't even know how I'm standing right now, to be honest. I just coming off of James Dama and now all this. But here's the thing. It's so invigorating. Like these conversations give me so much energy. Mm -hmm. Like in about half an hour's time, I'm going to sit down and I'm probably going to collapse right into like a, into a black hole. But I love well, that. That means I'm learning. Oh, my God, please. No, thank you for making this happen. Oh, by the way, everybody in the chat, the reason why Gary was even on in this conversation was 100% because of this lady oh. right here. Yes, 100%. Seriously. Thank you so much. Um, the we showed this at the beginning of the uh, live stream, y'all. And if you just joined oh, you us, oh, you got the um, back. Oh yeah, she's back. <laughs> swear to God, it's so annoying. It's always like an hour into the stream, this sex spot always shows up and tries to get people. I don't fuck. Google, can you please get your bots figured out? Come on, how much money do you invest in that stuff? Sorry. 
All right. Um, so th this is a very interesting chart that um, Alexander put together for us. And this is a brand new um, version of this. So every quarter you've put this together and this has the latest information as of Q2 earnings for all these companies. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to say it and you tell me if I got anything wrong here, but this is all Alexander's work. And the, the big standout here. So, so what this does, let me let me sort of rescope the, the, the concept is that this is really anchored around the Altman Z score, which is a score that's given to companies to, uh, I guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, gauge their financial strength into the long term. And the higher their score, the better their strength is. Is that a yeah. good way of putting it? That's good. Okay. Okay. Um, and so Tesla has a 20.07, which if we look at this list is by far the highest one. Uh, but when it comes to the ratings from Moody's and S&P, which are the companies that it's like credit karma, but for businesses. So this is basically like uh, Moody's and S&Ps give ratings to companies that say you should invest in it. You shouldn't invest in it. AAA, I believe, is the highest, right, Alexandra, uh, yes. for uh, both agencies. Mm -hmm. But BA1 and BB plus are are bad, right? They're Junk. not good ratings. Junk rating. Yeah. Um, and what's very odd about this behavior is that Tesla has uh, extremely high score when it comes to the Altman Z, which we, sh we saw right here. They have a 20 score, which is best in class, mm -hmm. yet they're still rated as junk by these rating agencies, which is quite unbelievable. A different way of looking at this, which is even more shocking. Mm -hmm. So Alexandra put together uh, a a sort of a, a graph here that compiles the number of, of companies that fit within the Altman Z score of this range. So for example, between 3.1 and five, there's 12 companies, uh, in this case, mega cap companies that are scored between 3.1 and five. And the way uh, Alexander explained it to me is that if anything is three or below, their risk of bankruptcy goes out dramatically, where mm -hmm. it becomes sort of like there, you can't say with confidence that they won't be bankrupt in the next three years. I think it's yeah. probably the best two way to say that right? yeah. in the yeah. next two years. Got it. Yeah. Um, and what's even more interesting is that Alexander also compiled uh, a set of 10 car makers with their Altman Z scores. Mm -hmm. And the ones in yellow, the ones in yellow are all Altman Z, um, or are all car makers, and they range between zero and three. Mm -hmm. Yet the other car maker that's 20 or above in Altman Z is Tesla, but they're still rated junk. And so this is a different way of looking at this graph. So here's an example. So Ford and Renault are really the only two standouts from the 10 car makers that are junk, but every single other one is scored low on Altman Z, yet they're still investment grade by Moody's exactly. and S&P, whereas Tesla isn't. And this is as of the latest data from quarter two. I don't know if you want to expand on anything else, but and I hope I can. No, you've said it all. This is very well explained. I think it's always good when I see that, you know, somebody who didn't know that I explain and you're able to, in your own words, say exactly the same thing. That means, you know, I was able to explain it well and you were able to understand yes. it well. So that's good. Perfect. So, and then part of the discussion, just to recap, was to really try to understand what the hell is happening here. Like, why why is it taking so long to, for these things to change? And Alexandra, every single day, has a retweet that she sends out, uh, pinging these uh, rating agencies to get it to change. Um, how hopeful are you that this happens in the next like month, uh, thirty days? Because I, mean, I mean, how I, it can't be any yeah. more obvious, right? 
Yeah, it can't be any more obvious. Um, as of tomorrow, because I wanted to have the new data set not based on the first quarter, but on the second, as of tomorrow, I will actually also tag the SEC and, and Gary Gensler, because I just think this needs some oversight. You can't be so blatantly wrong and do nothing and just lag. Um, I mean, they're obviously not in a hurry, that's for sure. Um, so I have actually, I'm with Tesla Herbert, a bet. I still hope this happens in August. And if not, mm. I have to subscribe to become super follower for Earl at two ninety nine <laughs> for six months. Now, it's not really about the 18 bucks, but I will just have Tesla Herbert every day on my back. So I really want to win this. So I have to shift <laughs> up the gear now and make sure this happens. Now, all, all uh, aside, um, I mean, the first thing is we're all Tesla investors. We should be very reassured, not only because of this table, but because this table actually really clearly shows that we're investing in the best company out there, right? I do believe of all companies on this chart, Tesla has the brightest future and it has already the best financials. So that's the good thing. Now, obviously, we want this credit rating to go up because there are a lot of institutional investors that need at least investment grade. I read earlier in the in the comments that people think it needs to be a good investment grade. That's not true. It is investment grade. Why? Because if not, people like, for example, GM, GM is low investment grade, but it is investment grade. You can show it, it's further down uh, in the orange part. Um, GM has currently, I think it's 83% of its shares are held by institutional investors, meaning by funds, right? That is exactly the gap that will happen if Tesla goes into investment grade. You see with GM holding 83%, held 83% of their shares by institutionals, Tesla is 43%. You can quantify this difference, these 40% of being institutional investor that currently cannot even consider Tesla because it is not investment grade. That is for me a very, very clear sign that once it will just slip into investment grade, even if it's low, doesn't matter, that will open up the doors. Well, so within that context, is it fair to assume that the demand for Tesla stock once that invest, and again, none of this is in investment advice. I'm just trying to conceptualize what this means. But once this flips, does this automatically mean that demand for Tesla stocks go up because the these uh, funds uh, essentially would look like morons if they don't buy Tesla stock versus well, their peers, right? Yeah, yes and no. They will buy, but they will not buy immediately. So it's not like the inclusion of the S&P 500 where from one day like a, a zero allocation went to 2% allocation. Everybody had to have these 2%, right? That's not the case here. Here, it will open up. And then in the next committee, these investment managers have with their directions, they may say, look, now Tesla is invested great i would like to buy a bit um can we allocate a percent there or half a percent there can we start slowly whatever so this is not going to be something imminent because it, this is a softer subject these are individual decisions but it will now suddenly be on the list uh, it will have an impact on the first day on the stock because the whole of wall street understands that you know there will be millions and billions now invested sooner or later into tesla but the real push will actually be more a medium-term push because these are solid purchases, purchases that will be held. You know, why does GM still have 83% institutional um, investors? Because these people bought GM 20 years ago and still hold mm. them. Pension funds usually keep stock for a very, very, very long time. 
And so the, this is going to be, this will in the end reduce the active trading mass of stock of Tesla. If at the same time happens what Gary thinks, meaning stock buyback, which reduces the number of shares in the market uh, and institutionals, long-term investor pension plans, go, pension funds go into Tesla, both will really have the effect of uh, limiting the number of, of the float of the readily available. So many of us retail investors will never sell, right? I had to sell a couple of stock a couple of months ago to pay taxes. I mean, it was it was horrible. It was really horrible. I, yeah. And very quickly, I bought them back because it was such a passion, passion thing, right? Emotional, <laughs> completely silly. But anyway, the, the, but what I'm trying to say is um, the good thing about it is it will dry out the market. There will be less float and uh, it will be hold positions it won't it won't be trading positions right right so so the the percentage of people that are likely to trade their stock uh as the percentage of the flow goes down dramatically once if it gets to the point of 80 some odd percent of the float is held by institutional investors and you have the forcing function of tesla essentially removing float right from anybody who's willing to sell it back to the company exactly. essentially and that, so you that's have like a double whammy a leverage effect on the stock price that's enormous wow and, and that's still in the future. So then the gradual effect of uh, these funds starting to buy investment grade, is this like a one-year time horizon, two-year time horizon? Do you have any thoughts oh, around I, that? I would even think less, around six to 12 months. And and it's actually okay. funny, and I should have asked Gary, and I, now I'm suddenly thinking of all the questions I should have asked, but there you go, <laughs> um, which is that, you know, his model is all good at, at 1,600, but if you listen to him, that is really a discounted cash flow model, right? He has so and so many cards, well, he actually has idiot adoption, uh, total number of cars sold, so how many of these are now EVs, 20% market share to Tesla, so and so many cars, 43,000 average selling price, blah, 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 and then discount it down. In all that, he never mentions any of his catalysts, right? He never mentioned this credit upgrade. So does that- on Twitter, though. I know, he has that list, but not in the 1,600. So that that's my, yeah. would have been my question to him. Is this 1,600 the same catalyst if credit upgrade happens and if all his other catalysts happen or is it completely independent? Mm. Damn. We're going to have to get him back. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to have to get him back. Gary, if you're watching, come back, bro. We'll get you a new mic. Don't go we'll to your you dinner. Come back here. Much more cozy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> much more, much more fun. Um, thank you so much. Seriously, Alexander. What a, what a fun time this was having him on and having you on. Um, You'll be back next week, I think, right? We'll have you on the schedule if, if it still works. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I have any, anything new to say, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you, everybody who's uh, who's listened to this whole stream so far. Uh, please, please, please go follow um, Alexandra on Tesla uh, at uh, Alexandra Mertz, right? No, or is it at Tesla Boomer Mama? Which Alexandra one is it at? S and it's Tesla oh, That's Mama. right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the contact information is in the description as well. So make sure you check that out. And again, just as one last time, this, this, uh, I'm guessing you'll be sharing this shortly. Yeah, then, I uh, don't want to do it now and I'll put it out. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay, perfect. And I'll make sure to retweet it. This is very, very, very important information for people to be exposed to, to just, you know, the way I view this as, as somebody who, again, is an amateur retail investor is what I call myself. But this is like the sort of thing that, that sticks out to me. And I'm like, okay, there's a clear gap in understanding between what we think of the company and what a lot of people that have all the money think about the company. So there seems to be an opportunity for somebody to step in and capitalize, capitalize on that gap, right? Not investment advice, but that's how I think about this. And that's why I think this work is so important. Um, and not, I, I don't know, to this day, I don't know, I don't know how many people, like, is this even a topic that gets discussed on CNBC? I've never heard it mentioned well, before. Thanks to, you know? thanks to Gary, we had an article in Barron's, you know, in the, um, with uh, Alan, uh, what's his name, Brute, I think, yeah, uh, who did a nice article. It was on a Saturday, so it, it didn't have the exposure it would have on a weekday, but, but we're starting slowly to, to see a little bit people talk about it. But, you know, the problem, obviously, is since Tesla is not... Um, a topic that lots of journalists like. It's not easy to place uh, an article where they have to write something against rating agencies and pro Tesla. So mm. we just have to do the groundwork us. That's just it. Yeah. Well, that's why we're here. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you Alexandra. Uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure and uh, can't wait to see you again. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye, everybody. And broadcast. Bye -bye. Here we go.